Drabblecast. The Drabblecast is an audio fiction... What? What? I'm just doing the intro like usual. No big deal. Why'd you prompt me to dub in that record scratch fully with your panicked, hysterical gaze? You look a little... unhinged. I like it. Oh, you mean the Drabblecast. Where'd we go? <laughs> you thought old Uncle Norm had finally gone poking around the wrong old abandoned storm cellar in the woods and something pretty cool but awful did something horrible but interesting to him. Nah, trust me, you'd be the first to know. I'd be dead, but it'd be like in the movies. You'd pause in the middle of whatever you were just saying and put your hands to your temples and be like, I'm sorry, I, I just... And the person you were just talking to will be all concerned, but you'll shake them off and be like, no, 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 it's, it's not me, it's... I felt something. Norm. Uh, he's this host of this podcast I listen to. It's, it's pretty weird, but I mean the good kind of weird, you know? Like weird stories, fiction. I bet you'd like it, actually. You should check it out. Anyways... Something compelling in the woods, or possibly underground, just consumed him. Something cool, but also something, I guess, ultimately capable of subduing him. And now he's gone. And I don't know how I know, I just, I, I felt it. A ripple in the strangeness. It was him letting us know. And also, something about a talisman in Utah? On some fortnight? I don't know. <laughs> okay, Norm. Anyways, what were you saying? Why are you looking at me weird? He's the weird one. This is a podcast to listen to. Nope, not dead, not pod-faded, but neither are we the same. We're molting, you see. Fifteen years we've been doing this show, and, and there have been... All right, all right, cut it out. You're just playing in it now. When I started Drabblecast 15 years ago, I didn't do it because I wanted to start a podcast. I didn't want to be a fiction editor or a content creator. I wasn't interested in starting a market or building a brand or a business or a following. Hell, I wasn't even interested in telling weird stories. Not just that. Strange stories by strange authors for strange listeners, such as yourself. That's why I do this, or try to, because it brings people and worlds and feelings and ideas together into moments. And in those moments, we are us. We're an us, we are us. And I can tell you get it too, because this show's been listener supported the entire time, even though you've never had to, for 15 years. It defies logic, but does it really? Maybe if you don't feel the us, but for us, I don't know, it's, it's just like the weird, beautiful life cycle that we emerged in. Oh, who left this paralyzed caterpillar here for us to eat our way out of? That was nice. Critical, even. And in turn, we do what we do, and paralyze it forward, so to speak. We've never really had a particular formal way of conducting all that. We have paywall content with Travelcast B-Sides, but it's a system we run through our site, and signing up is a little more confounding than I'd like it to be. It's not automated, and in general, it's not the most seamless and convenient way to get your B-Sides content. Also, our website got hacked pretty hardcore a couple months ago, and in addition to just really screwing us up and slowing us down, it made me think it's time to offload our listener support platform. And not just that, we need to rebuild it from the ground up and make it awesome. And not just that, we need it to be the place where that us that only lives in separate shared moments right now can come together outside of those moments and become community again. Some of our veteran listeners out there might recall the days when our discussion forums were that place, and man, were those some golden years. Forums.drabblecast.org was the Drabblecast when it wasn't in your ears. Thousands of members, tens of thousands of posts in different threads, drabbles, twabbles, story discussion, weird news, contests, polls, and then discussion forums like that kind of went away. They turned into Reddit and stuff. So where does our community live now? 
Well, it's scattershot, a little bit all over the place. Twitter, two Facebook groups, a subreddit, various tunnel systems under New York City, and that's fine. I mean, mole people are my people, but we want to do better. Frankly, we need to do better in both regards, bringing together community and creating a legit, streamlined, not to mention exciting system for those of y'all who do us the honor of subscribing monthly so that the show can exist. So what are we doing? Drabblecast has taken the party to Patreon. Goodbye, B-Sides. Goodbye, Scattershot. Hello, new bonus content. New bonus content delivery system. And Drabblecast Community Clubhouse 2.0. We're at patreon.com forward slash Drabblecast. You'll find that we've been rather busy behind the scenes, making this more than just the place where you can go and support the show. Now, the molting process has yielded an exciting new array of dripping tubes and appendages for you to check out. We're rebuilding what the forums were there. We've started a Drabblecast Discord server as the new sandbox for everybody to play in. We've got the complete Drabblecast episode archive now easy and available, along with former paywalled B-Sides content. We've got Drabble Classics coming back with Charity Helton editing and doing roundtable story discussion, alternating every other week with Drabblecast Director's Cuts, where I interview authors. That's right, systems, consistency. And there's more. I'm just saving the best for last. We've got an alternate reality game we're going to be doing with fans and seasons. We've got an In Search of the Mongolian Deathworm video game that's just about in beta finally after years of off-again, on-again work. This is exciting to announce. We'll talk about it a little bit more in the outro when I introduce our new editor. That's right, more exciting news there. But we are really excited to announce the launch of our brand new quarterly magazine from Travelcast called Tentaculum. This will come out four times a year in print and digital ebook form, with more new original stories, but also nonfiction essays, articles, reviews, op-eds, drabbles, crosswords, funny, weird, high-quality stuff. The first issue's already wrapped up and about ready to go, so we're eager for you to come join us on Patreon and check it out. And what am I missing? I know there's one other big thing that's, oh, that's right, a straight-up new extra bonus episode of Drabblecast on the 30th of every month. That's one-third more Travelcast than you'll get in our main feed. So the idea and our new schedule once we get going here is going to be a bi-weekly episode for free, the first and third weeks of every month, and alternating Travel Classics or Director's Cut for Patreon subscribers the second week, and a bonus Travelcast episode of the kind you're already familiar with for Patreon subscribers the last week. This is the plan. This is what it's going to look like for folks like yourself who sign up, if folks like yourself sign up. So please do consider it, patreon.com forward slash Drabblecast. Also, if you're currently subscribed to Drabblecast, you most of all we want to make sure gets this new stuff right in the center of it. We can't move or transfer your subscription for you, though. You still have to go to Patreon. We're sending you emails as well to let you know what's going on. So, that was a lot, huh? We might have been ghosts there for a little bit, but not dead ones. Different ones. Changing ones, growing ones. A ghost that's not dead yet, but will be is here. Can you not feel them? Their presence is near. They look like a person who's not yet a ghost. But ghosts who aren't dead yet get mixed up the most. With people just standing there. With ghosts that inhabit them. Whether by fortune or fate or by force And even a TV set Can have ghosts trapped inside of it Or kids, or kids. Human, kids. human kids Still alive, still alive. Big black rings on TVs with your kids still inside 
Fittingly, our story this week is called Plans for Expansion by Leah Whiteley. If you can believe it, this is actually the last story we commissioned for what wound up being the longest HP Lovecraft month ever. But I love it nonetheless, because it's fan favorite Aaliyah Whiteley who wrote it. And when Aaliyah Whiteley writes a story for the Travelcast, it's always a jolly bus ride of sorts. Aaliyah Whiteley's written over 100 published short stories that have appeared in Interzone, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Black Static, Strange Horizons, The Dark, The Travelcast, and The Guardian as well as anthologies such as Unsung's 2084 and Lonely Planets Better Than Fiction. She writes a regular non-fiction column for Interzone, and this is her taking a swing at Lovecraft mythos. Delightful. So let's get to it, shall we? Without further ado, we bring you Plans for Expansion by Aaliyah Whiteley. Plans for Expansion by Aaliyah Whiteley. The stones contain stories. The deep and worn stones of this castle have tales within them of such strange and horrible occurrences, events too awful to be spoken of, but I will try this very night to tell you, to warn you, of what they have witnessed. Beware what awaits you within. Prepare yourself. Your sanity is at risk. That was the beginning of Willard's speech, I heard it so often, I know it by heart. He gave it his best every single night, and the visitors loved that stuff. I mean, they went wild. They really bought it. Last year, we even had a fainter. This woman in the front row went out like a light. Willard hadn't even really got going yet. He was at the early part of the tour, about the walling up of Lady Gulforth in 1768, when she fell over backwards and lay there on the grass by the east portcullis, and I had to call an ambulance. The flashing blue lights really added something to the atmosphere. Willard said he might put it on the poster. A ghost tour so terrifying, it'll knock you out. But it turned out the woman had low blood sugar, and I said that would make it fake advertising, so he decided against it. She was fine after a cookie. She even stayed for the rest of the tour. Ah, the good old days. It was about that time that Willard began to come up with his big plans for expansion. He began to say things to me like, Mike, do you think it would work if I got another Iron Maiden for the far corner of the torture chamber, or would that be too crowded? Or, Mike, how about we wire up some speakers in the oubliette so it'll make some screaming noises? I never took him too seriously. I mean, I was an assistant, and that was the way I liked it. I never wanted to make any big decisions. It wasn't my dream job. I had plans to escape, to get to the city. So when he started saying, Mike, should we expand this operation, add another wing to the castle, or put in a theme park, a haunted garden? I thought he was crazy, wanting to stay in that creepy old ruin for the rest of his life. But I wasn't going to say that. All I wanted to do was take my share of the money and run. So much for that idea. I wonder where Willard is now. Maybe he's right next to me, touching me, forced up tight against me, joined to me, never to be moved again. That might be the worst thought I've ever had. I should be a long way away from here, but I guess at least Willard is where he wants to be. Galforth Castle has been in his family for hundreds of years. He has a long line of relatives that have done nasty stuff to each other, if you believe his stories. And they weren't even the first owners, so who knows what happened before they came along. This place is ancient. There are some medieval parts, some Roman, and earlier. 
They burned witches here, apparently. Hung, drew, and quartered people. I think it was an Iron Age burial mound or something. You name it, they did it here, building a little more every time until the present day where it can be found just off the motorway to Portsmouth, within five minutes of three major supermarket chains. Epoch upon epoch of suffering, written into the walls, each layer revealing horror heaped upon horror. That was part of Willard's closing speech. I remember him giving it on that final evening. It was the 11 o'clock show. Not a bad turnout. He really gave it everything in his black cloak and executioner's hood, and the malevolent gray fog lifted for a moment to allow a perfect silvery strand of moonlight to fall on the sharp edge of his axe. I thought, it'll never get better than that. The tourists clapped, and he bowed, and I showed people out with my burning torch, and then began the process of cleaning up. I'd reached the Great Hall, where the son of Lord Galforth VII was barbecued on a spit and eaten as a warning against disobedience, when Willard came over, back in his normal outfit of grey tweed suit and bow tie. He watched me sweep up for a while. You missed a bit, he said. Then he said, Mike, are you still living with your parents? I said I was. Thinking about it now, so is he, technically speaking, although both his parents were in the family crypt after a horrific car accident a few years ago. He acted like he was older than me, but he really wasn't. Not by much. Although I suppose life can date a person. Maybe you could learn to give a few of the speeches, Willard said. I, I could train you up, and you could move in here if you like. I can pay you a bit more. I wouldn't charge any rent. There are some decent bedrooms in the West Wing that aren't too damp. I said I'd think about it, but his offer crystallized my decision for me. I didn't want to be here, and if I wasn't careful I'd end up hanging around forever, becoming part of the fabric of this place. I was on the point of telling him so, handing in my notice, when he changed the subject so fast that I thought he must have guessed what I was about to say. He said, Mike, do you want to see something mind-blowing? I'm trying to work out if I should put it in the tour. Okay. Wonderful. It's down here. He led the way to the old storeroom behind the kitchen. It was a kind of circular cellar with archways, dark and chilly, and part of the floor had subsided months ago. I put up a tape across the doorway to make sure visitors didn't wander in and twist an ankle. The hole in the floor had gotten a lot worse since I last saw it. The flagstones had cracked, broken apart, and raised up as if snapped in by two giant hands. A large metal ring lay in the exposed soil underneath. Jesus, I said. I think it's older than that, said Willard. My father once told me this is the heart of the castle, where the first stones were laid. What's it for? He knelt down and brushed away some of the dust and soil, enough to see a square depression a few feet across around the ring. A border. It's a trap door, he said. Come on. And I was about to say, you'll never lift it, it must weigh a ton, when there was a smooth sound of stone on stone, and the whole thing swung upwards, as if it had been kept in perfect condition since the day it was made. It felt as if it was eager to open for us. That's the only way I can describe it. I know, said Willard in his work voice. Eerie. He took his phone out and switched on the torch. The beam, angled downwards, picked out the first few steps of a cylindrical staircase made of the same stones as the castle, curving back on itself in a tight bend, leading down and down. There was no way to tell how far it went. 
He gave me a strange look, fear and excitement and hope all mixed into one, and he didn't ask. I still don't know how he could be so sure that I would follow, but follow him I did, one stare at a time, deeper and deeper into darkness, with only the weak beam of his torch to guide us. Down, and down, and down to the depths of the world, where hell might begin, and all thoughts of sunlight, air unmarked by fetid mold and madness spawned of clawing dread, were lost, surrendered, forever forgotten. I think that's how the tour speech might have gone anyway. And then the staircase came to an end. And this is what I wanted to show you, said Willard. We stood side by side in a tiny chamber, just big enough for both of us. Our shoulders touched. I could hear him breathing fast. His hands were trembling. The torchlight shivered in the intense cold. You came down here on your own, I whispered. I did. He was braver than I thought. The stones were regular, laid like brickwork in perfect order. This could have been a modern room. But at the same time, it was obvious that this was beyond old, the oldest room in which I'd ever stood. I don't know how I knew that. The stones screamed it somehow. So what do you think? said Willard. Should I bring visitors down here? I think it might be a big draw. No, I said. No, I don't think anybody should come down here ever again. He was silent for a long time, and then he said, You're probably right. He played the beam of the torch over the floor, as perfectly made as the walls, and I felt sick with the swinging movement of the light, round and round. What was it for? I asked him. I don't know. Maybe to kill people slowly, do you think? A bit like walling them up. Then wouldn't there be skeletons down here? Maybe it was someone's job to tidy up after each one. You know, like you tidy up after each tour. There are always assistants, no matter what time you live in. It's an indispensable role. I didn't answer that. I was certain that if I'd been an assistant in ancient times, I wouldn't have been queuing up to come down here on a daily basis. Here's the really strange thing about it, said Willard. I know this place is awful. I know it's creepy and horrible, and nobody in their right mind would want to come down here. But when I'm here... I feel less alone. I have no idea why. That ache inside me, since Mom and Dad died, it eases a bit. And I want other people, people like me, who know what it's like to be abandoned, to come down here too, to touch the stones and realize none of us are really ever on our own. That's why I want to expand the business, Mike, not for more money, but to bring more lonely, desperate people down here and to make them part of something healing. Go on, touch a stone, you'll understand it then, I promise you. I put out my hand and touched my palm to one of the stones. There was something there, something I couldn't begin to explain. Although the room was freezing, the stone was warm. It did make me feel as if it was not only me and Willard so far underground. I could almost hear a soft murmur of other voices, many thousands talking, as if from very far away. It occurred to me that if I listened really hard, I might be able to hear what they were saying. And at that moment, I almost wanted to do just that, to listen for as long as it took until I understood them. I snatched my hand back. Willard, I said, consider this my verbal notice, effective immediately, and let's both try to get out more. Seriously? He said. I'll double your wages. You could write your own script for this bit of the tour. I have a suspicion you'd be good at it. Not in a million years. Ah, that's a shame, he said. 
and for a moment I thought he would snap, attack me, try to keep me down here forever or something. But he didn't. He sighed a long sigh and said, I just thought you would understand my plans for expansion. I don't know why, but that's fine. Let's go back up. At that exact moment, the light went out. The darkness was absolute. I heard Willard swearing at the phone, a stream of words that didn't end. I reached out, felt for the staircase, and only managed to collide with Willard. He stopped talking. The silence was worse than his swearing. I took a step back, expecting to hit the wall behind me, and there was nothing at all. No wall. No stones. Seconds passed. Seconds longer than centuries. The wall had to be there. The staircase had to be there. It was simply a case of... I can't, said Willard. I can't. I can't. Wait. Was that light? The phone's working, I cried, and Willard said very softly, No. That's when I realized that the light was coming from far away. It was soft, red, a sickly color. Willard was facing me, and his fine hair and pale features were stained as if dipped in blood. He held out the dead phone to me, and I reached for it, but it slipped through my fingers to the floor, to where the floor should be, but nothing broke its fall. It dropped into the yawning chasm beneath us, a crevasse too huge for our minds to comprehend, but with no end. Still it fell, until it was too small to be seen. I wondered if it would fall forever, and why we did not fall. How could that be? We stared at each other, amazed. We were suspended. Nothing held us in place, and the stones that had surrounded us had vanished. I looked up. Castle Galforth was above us, but it was dwarfed, no more than a miniature, compared to the figure that loomed over it. A terrifying presence, filling the air and my mind larger than anything I'd ever encountered. It was a god, maybe. A vast thing. If the castle was tiny to it, we could have only been specks of dust floating in the boundless field of its vision. I felt certain it had not yet noticed us. We were of no consequence. We were insects that could barely gain its attention. Willard screamed one long, piercing note. And then the being's mind was upon us, the unbearable pressure of its consciousness extinguishing all thought and emotion but agonizing fear and strange wonder. It looked deep into me, and I saw my past and future in its many hideous eyes. I saw my own birth, that moment of squashy arrival into a clean white room so far from this place, and I saw my child steps, my first fall, and every moment learning replayed, all useless knowledge that led nowhere, for this, this was to be the moment of my death. There was to be no escape. I saw it, and the being felt some kind of malicious joy in that. It brought only the smallest iota of its will to bear on me, pressing me, relishing my struggle as I shrank under its gaze. And I shrank and shrank. I was being squeezed, reduced, turned into a new form. My neck truncated, my arms and legs retracted, my organs forced to meld together, then rupture, bleed into one pile of mangled flesh as my head and torso flattened to a solid cuboid. The change was complete. The being expressed pleasure. It reached down with a many-digited appendage and plucked me, lifted me, admired me. 
The contact gave me a glimpse into its thoughts and nearly extinguished my sanity in the process, for Galforth Castle really was only a toy to it, and it had many such toys, all connected by winding paths of stone that stretched into infinity. And the chasm over which Willard and I had hung was merely a mock moat to the being, constructed by it, for it was a child playing with the stones it made, stones in the millions, more stones than stars. Each stone, once upon a time, had been a soul. Willard and I had found a room between planes of existence that offered humans to a child god to make its building blocks. The being lowered me down and placed me somewhere in its plan. It patted me with the tip of one extrusion, and I gibbered under the force of its playful regard. Then it left me, its glow fading, until our connection was cut and there was only darkness. I think Willard was right about a lot of things. I would have been good at writing my own script for his tour. I could have fitted it right into his plans for expansion. After all, I fit in really well right here. I hope Willard got placed in a good spot. Not that he'd know, I mean. I have no idea where I am. Maybe I'm in Galforth Castle, and visitors still come to hear about the awful things that happened here. I like the idea that someone could be walking around, brushing up against me. I remember what it felt like to touch those old stones and sense all those voices wanting to be heard. I had the feeling I'd be able to understand of what they were saying if only I'd listened hard enough. So I'll keep talking to myself and hoping that someone might touch me, tune in, and pay attention. The stones contain stories. That's what Willard used to say at the start of every show. He was right about that too. Every single stone contains a story, all of them screaming to be heard. I'm happy that I wound up a brick of all the things I could have been. I could have been a rock or a stick, but then it wouldn't really fit in. I used to not be shaped like a brick. I had human-shaped problems like the kind that you do. I never quite figured that trick, but I hope it works out for you. Boo! That was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. So, yeah, I mentioned in the intro we were bringing on board a new editor for Tentaculum, and also for the Drabblecast, as we approach an anticipated reopening for submissions. Folks, meet Cameron Howard. Hey, fellow weirdos. I'm Cameron, the new managing editor of the Drabblecast. I'm proud to be one of many keeping this podcast alive and well so it can slither into your ears where it belongs. While I can't reveal our machinations behind the scenes, some big changes are on the horizon. But we need your help. We're looking for voracious readers with a discerning eye for the weird and wonderful to join our team on the front lines. If you know in your bones when a story is Drabblecast material, if you can stare into the cacophonous maw of the slush pile without fear, you just might be one of our future assistant editors. Yes, we are looking for slush readers. Hit us up at submissions at Drabblecast.org if you want to do that to yourself. A storm is coming. Alrighty, folks, that about do her for this week. 
Remember, the Travelcast is brought to you with the Creative Commons. Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Hit up our new Patreon and support the show. Be part of things. It's at patreon.com forward slash Travelcast. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Susanna Kweichen. Susanna's an illustrator and designer. She aims to capture the visual narrative of the subject and combine it with a distinct atmosphere. As an artist, she values time and effort put into constructions of high-quality works of art, and we value and appreciate her time providing us this lovely episode cover. Thanks, Susanna. Our program this week was brought to you by Cameron Howard, Bo Kyer, Oren Pratt, Tom Baker, Michelle Restuccia, Adam Pratt, The Napkin with a Note, Charity Helton, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you, I think it was earlier than that.